Well hello Hope Church and God bless you. It's an absolute honour to be asked to share with you again. Um, it's been a crazy few months hasn't it? I mean wow. But you know despite everything that's going on, uh, we need to just keep reminding ourselves that our God is a good God. We can trust him completely and he can always turn every situation around for good. And it's something that I've been encouraging myself with recently. It's just the truth that if everything still looks like a mess, then guess what? <laughs> the story's not finished yet. Amen. Come on. So feel free to grab that one for yourself or even just to share it with people that you know. But you know, if, the, if everything still looks like a mess, then the story's not finished yet. So crazy days, but you know, there's lots of hope as well. And the virus is in retreat, lockdown's beginning to ease and we'll soon be free to meet the people we love and give them big squishy hugs. Now how good is that? Come on, watch out world, here we come. <laughs> I tell you, there's been a whole load of big squishy hugs that we haven't been able to release, so oh, watch this space. Anyway, as lockdown begins to ease, there's lots of talk about what the new normal might look like, isn't there? Um, and as I've thought about that, you know, I've realised that there's more than one new normal. <laughs> as well as the world's new normal, there's another one. One that's not tied to social distancing or to hand gel or any of that kind of stuff. But one offered by heaven. <laughs> one where we really do know who we are in Christ. Where we feel totally secure in our identity as people who are loved, accepted and valued by the living God. <laughs> and where fear no longer has any grip on us and where we live a lifestyle of signs and wonders and miracles. That sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? <laughs> but you know, it's more than cool, it's a, it's a real invitation from God to us for today. Um, and as, so as this season ends um, in a natural and we prepare ourselves to walk in our new normal outside of lockdown and then why don't we just make some time in our diaries, take some time out to ask Holy Spirit what his new normal is for us in this next season. So that's some homework for you. Set aside some time this week and ask Holy Spirit to show you what the new normal is that he wants you to walk into. And then write it down, write down what he shows you and then ask him how to make that, that vision, that, that plan, that idea a reality in your own lives. Oof. So why would just declare, <laughs> heaven's new normal is going to be so exciting. Cool. So as you look to the future, God says to you, do not be afraid. Trust me, I am your guide. I'll see you through this. <laughs> I am your provider. You will lack no good thing. Come on. And he also says, I know the plans I have for you and they're really good plans. <laughs> so today, be encouraged because you belong to God, he belongs to you and he's got your back. He'll never leave us and he'll never ever forsake us. So today, in the time that I've got with you, I want to share some keys that Jesus gave to his disciples that help them to walk into their new normal. And I'm going to start by rewinding a bit. In fact, I'm going to rewind 2,000 years. So it's four days before the cross. It's Passover time. But what the disciples and the people around Jesus didn't realise was that this Passover was to be Jesus' last one. 
So this wasn't just any Passover, it became the Passover. The very point in time that all the previous Passovers had looked forward to and the very point in time that every moment since takes its value from. So this Passover was about to change everything. This Passover was about to usher in the biggest new normal that this world has ever seen. So here we are, just four days before the cross, four days to finish bearing his disciples. Now, if you had just four days left with your loved ones, what would you do with these days? And what would you say to them? Um, what would you do? You'd really make them count, wouldn't you? <laughs> and you know, that's exactly what Jesus does. And the things that he did and said and taught his disciples in those four days were absolutely crucial in preparing them to walk into their new normal. So let's look at the first one. It's Monday, Passover Monday, the day when the Jews selected the lamb that they were going to use for their Passover sacrifice. Now the lambs were brought into Jerusalem from Bethlehem, which is about two miles away. Um, and they were brought in into, into Jerusalem through a special gate. It was a gate that was called the Sheep Gate. And once these lambs had come through the Sheep Gate into the city, each family would have a look at them, and they, then they would select a lamb that they were going to take home and use as their sacrifice. But this year, on Lamb Selection Day, something really special, really odd actually happened. Because this year, Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem, uh, rode on a donkey and he entered the city of Jerusalem. And what gate did he choose to go through? <laughs> the Sheep Gate. And as he went through it, crowds of people gathered, waving palm branches, shouting, Hosanna! Which means saviour or save us. But the thing was that they were expecting a military commander who would raise an army up against the Romans and kick him out. But Jesus wasn't that kind of saviour, isn't that kind of saviour. He's much, much more than that. But on this day, the same day that the Jewish families selected their Passover lamb, Jesus enters Jerusalem through the Sheep Gate and he takes his place as the Passover Lamb of God. <laughs> and he performs a really powerful, a really poignant prophetic act. And unlike the sacrifices of the lambs that took place each year, his sacrifice would be a one-off. It would usher in a mind-blowing new normal that replaced the old covenant, which is based on the law, and that brought in an entirely new covenant, not based on laws and rules and things, but based on God's outrageous grace, based on God's incredible love. <laughs> and so the first thing Jesus did that week, his last week, was to take his place as a Passover Lamb of God on Lamb Selection Monday. Wow. <laughs> the next morning, the Tuesday, Jesus walks back into Jerusalem. He feels a bit hungry and he sees a fig tree, but it has no fruit. So what does he do? He curses it and he says, may you never bear fruit again. Huh. And the fig tree withered. Now on one level that seems fair enough. You know, the fig tree wasn't bearing fruit, so Jesus cursed it. But there's a whole other story behind that incident. Jesus wasn't just cursing a tree that didn't have fruit. He was making another very, very powerful prophetic act. A prophetic statement that was tying up a loose end that went all the way back to the fall. 
Because in Genesis, after Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? <laughs> they felt naked, they felt ashamed, and so they took some fig leaves, they tied them together, and they made coverings for themselves. In other words, they did what many of us do when we mess up. They tried to cover up their own sense of failure, their sense of shame. But the problem is that when we try to cover sin or try to sort it out ourselves, it doesn't go away, does it? In fact, it gets bigger. It's, it can feel even more powerful. Because the DIY method of trying to cover our own sin doesn't work. It just leads us into an even greater mess. So when Jesus cursed that fig tree and he said, no more will you bear fruit, he was closing an ancient loop that went all the way back to the fall because he was announcing to Satan, to the demons and to anyone else that was listening the false covering for sin is about to be utterly, utterly defeated. Come on. <laughs> and through the finished work of the cross that's exactly what Jesus did because he's become our covering. Through his sacrifice all of our sin all of our guilt, all of our shame, all our mess-ups have been paid for, in full and forever. So today, we don't need to try to cover up our sin. We don't need to hide because of shame. We don't need to feel oppressed because of it either. Instead, we can choose to live in a new normal. We can choose to confess our sins to Jesus, our mess-ups. We can accept his sacrifice and we can accept his redemption. And as we do that, the power that these things, that the guilt and the shame and these other things used to have over our lives, gets broken. Guilt, condemnation and regret has no place in our lives. <laughs> Jesus cursed the victory. And as he did so, <laughs> he was announcing that the false covering for sin was about to be utterly defeated. Amen. You're allowed to get excited because this is so good. <laughs> wow. So the next day, the Wednesday, the day before he was arrested, he spent some time teaching. Now, if you had just one day, <laughs> what would you teach? What would be the thing or things that you would want your loved ones to really know, to grasp hold of? You'd want to make sure that they really knew the important stuff, wouldn't you? <laughs> And that's exactly what Jesus did. Because he taught on the wedding banquet, the marriage feast, the greatest commandment, I love God, love others. He also taught them that the temple, I, his body, would be destroyed and rebuilt in three days. And then he taught them about the, the parable of the ten virgins, which was a parable about provision through intimacy. Now, I don't have time to unpack these right now, but the common thread that ties every one of these teachings together is this. Jesus was saying to his disciples, I'm about to do something that will make it possible for you to walk in an intimate relationship with me and with the other members of the Trinity. <laughs> and if you accept that invitation, then every need that you have will be met in me. But you have to make the choice. You have to accept the invitation. Wow. So as we walk into our new normal today, you know, that invitation is still there. <laughs> An invitation to develop true intimacy with the Trinity and we can come as close to them as we want. 
You know, a while back God said, I have many servants, I have many children, but I have very few friends. So, as we walk into our new normal, why don't we make friendship with him our highest priority? Wow. Amen. So, now we move to Thursday, the last day. And what does Jesus do? Well, I'm going to read a little bit from Luke 22, and I'm reading from the Passion Translation, uh, and from verse 7. On the day of the sacrifice of the Passover lambs, Jesus instructs Peter and John, Go, prepare the Passover supper so that we can eat it together. And they asked, Where do we make the preparations? And he said, You will enter the city and you will find a man carrying a jug of water. Follow him home. And then say to the owner of the house, The teacher told us to ask you, where is the room that I may use to have the Passover meal with my disciples? And he will take you to a large furnished room upstairs and make the preparations there. They did as Jesus asked and they found everything to be as he had said. So on his last days, Jesus asks the two disciples that were closest to him, i.e. Peter and John, to go to Jerusalem. And there they were to find an unnamed man carrying a water jar, who would lead them to another unnamed man who owned a house that happened to have an upstairs room. And this upstairs room is the one that they were to use. Now, I love that. It's so Jesus, isn't it? I mean, go into the city and you'll find a man carrying a water jar. Do you know how many people there were in Jerusalem at that time? Do you know, a conservative estimate suggests that somewhere between 40 and 60,000 people. <laughs> That's a lot of folk. And a lot of these people would have been carrying water jars. It's like saying to you, go into Glasgow and find someone with a mobile phone. You be like, uh, yeah, there's like several thousand of them. <laughs> but by asking Peter and John, to go into Jerusalem to find a man carrying a water jar. He was giving them a mini treasure hunt and the only way that they could succeed was if they were being led by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so by giving them this mission on his last day with them, Jesus was teaching them not just to be led by what they saw, what they heard. Remember, Jesus wasn't going to be there to lead them anymore. He was teaching them to be led by his Spirit. And you know what? Despite the odds, <laughs> 60,000 to 1 or whatever it would be, it worked. Peter and John went into Jerusalem and in the midst of this sea of people that they would have found, they found the man carrying the water jar that Jesus wanted them to find. Now, so it wasn't a logical task. <laughs> the only way they could fulfill that was by being led by the Spirit. And as we move out of this time of lockdown into the new normal that Jesus has for us, that we're, you know, everything that can be shaken has been shaken, we need to, to learn to be led by the Spirit of God, not just by our natural senses. And as we are led by the Spirit of God, as we, we grow in intimacy with Him, then we'll find that, that He will guide us, that all of our needs will be met, and it will lack no good thing. And you know, as I'm sharing this, I'm just sensing Holy Spirit say to someone who's watching, 
If you're to make the connections that, that God wants you to make, then you have to learn to be led by His Spirit. You have to see through the eyes of your spirit as well as your physical eyes. And if God says a door is open, it's open, even if it looks closed. If God said something is going to happen, it's going to happen, even if it doesn't look possible. Amen? Cool. So, you know, it's really interesting that for this Last Supper, Jesus sends Peter and John into Jerusalem together to prepare the meal. Because out of all the disciples, these two in particular represented something of the Old Covenant and something of the New Covenant. <laughs> because if you look at the life of Peter, particularly before the cross, he was always boasting. He was always boasting about how much he loved Jesus, <laughs> how much he had done for Jesus. You know, Peter's identity was in his works. It was in what he, Peter, had done. <laughs> and that's an old covenant mindset. But if you look at John, you'll see that he boasted in something else. John didn't boast about his works at all. He boasted about how much Jesus loved him. He boasted of the things that Jesus had done. And that's a new covenant mindset. Peter's identity was in what he had done. John's identity was in the fact that he was loved by Jesus. <laughs> and so it's really cool that these two disciples, one that represented the old covenant, one that represented the new covenant, were sent together to organise a Passover where the Old Covenant was about to be fulfilled and the New Covenant was about to be announced. <laughs> because the cross represents the meeting place of both covenants. Wow! And as we move forward into our new normal, you need to make sure that your identity is in the fact that you are loved by Jesus. It's not on the things that you've done, it's not on your titles, it's not on any of these things at all. It's in your, that the very fact that you are loved to bits, you are valued, incredibly valued, by Jesus. And you know, the more that we place our identity in that fact, <laughs> the less our insecurities get to rise up. <laughs> it's, it's so good, trust me, it really does work. Now, what's next? So, scripture doesn't tell us what Jesus did while Peter and John were away. But we know that they've been staying in Bethany. And Bethany was where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. And wherever Jesus and the disciples stayed in Bethany, they always stayed at their home. So what did Jesus do while Peter and John were away preparing the Passover? Well, I was thinking about it, I guess, you know, he probably spent some time praying to his father. There was a huge ordeal ahead of him. He probably prayed for courage, for strength, for all these things. And he probably spent some time saying goodbye to his friends. I mean, he wasn't going to see Mary, Martha and Lazarus again before the cross. But, and I'm going to use a little bit of artistic license here. Because <laughs> I think he probably did something else too. And as I've meditated on this little passage, I realised that Mary and Martha and Lazarus weren't invited to the Passover feast with Jesus and his disciples. So they would have had to prepare their own Passover feast at their home in Bethany. And because of that, they would have had their own little lamb running about their home or in their garden, a wee Passover lamb that represented freedom from slavery, freedom from death, a wee Passover lamb 
that was a foreshadow of Jesus. <laughs> and whenever Jesus would look at that lamb, he'd be reminded of the sacrifice that he was about to make. And just as Peter and John, who represented the old and the new covenant, walked together into Jerusalem to prepare this last Passover, I'm pretty sure that, that Jesus, the new covenant Lamb of God, would may well have spent a moment or two with this little old covenant Lamb of the Passover. <laughs> and whenever I think about that passage, I, you know, I, I envisage him gently holding this little Passover Lamb, maybe scratching his head, perhaps even saying thank you. You know, two Passover lambs, both about to be sacrificed. One representing the old covenant, the other representing the new. Both laying down their, li their lives that others might live. You know, Jesus left no loose ends at all. Anyway, don't make a theology out of that. These are just some musings as I've meditated on that passage. But, you know, I, I think he probably did <laughs> do something like that. Anyway, um, it's time for the Last Supper now, um, and I'm going to read a little bit from Luke 22, starting from verse 14. When Jesus arrived at the upper room, he took his place at the table along with the apostles. And then he told them, I have longed with passion and desire to eat this Passover lamb with you before I endure my sufferings. I promise you that the next time we eat this, we will be together in the banquet of God's kingdom realm. So in other words, <laughs> he opened the dinner by saying, I'm so glad I'm able to share this last meal with you before I suffer and die. Oof. Now that's a pretty intense introduction to dinner, isn't it? Wow. <laughs> but do you, know what the, the, do you know what the disciples did just a few minutes later? They started bickering about which one of them was the greatest. And as I've thought about this scene, I realised that the disciples had become so caught up with what they thought about themselves and what others thought about them that they completely missed the point. Jesus had just told them that he was sharing his last meal with them before he was going to suffer and die. They, they completely missed the now moment of God. And they couldn't see what was actually in front of them. And instead of seeing the goodness of God, instead of seeing the gift of God, instead of seeing the salvation and the revelation of God, they were consumed with what they thought was missing. I want to be seen as the greatest. I want people to look up to me. <laughs> they lost sight of the blessings that they actually had and that they'd actually been given. You know, they got to walk with Jesus in the flesh. They got to see the miracles he did firsthand. They heard the Father audibly say, This is my beloved Son, and so much more. And yet, they became focused on what they thought was missing, rather than being thankful for what they had. Do you know, the devil still tries to do that with us today. <laughs> tries to get us to be miserable, tries to get us to look at the things that we think are missing. <laughs> things we don't have. But, you know, thankfulness is a gateway to the kingdom of God. And our God is a good God. He's an amazing father, an incredible dad. 
And scripture says he will not withhold any good thing from us. But sometimes the things that he thinks are good for us <laughs> might be different from the things that we think are good for us. He will not withhold any good thing from us. Thankfulness is a gateway to experiencing more of the kingdom of God. So, they're all bickering. <laughs> Jesus has just poured out his heart, just put it on the table and they all start bickering about which one's the greatest. How does he respond to that? You know, it's outrageous, it's ungrateful. What does he do? Do you know, I think I might have slapped him. <laughs> but praise God, Jesus doesn't do that. Instead of slapping him, you know, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the Lamb of God, God incarnate does the unthinkable. He says, bring me a basin and a towel. And he gets down on the floor and he washes their dirty, dusty feet. Absolutely incredible. But by doing that, he models what new covenant looks like. And as I've just mentioned, in, in the new covenant, our value is not based on what we do, what we think of ourselves, what other people might think about us. <laughs> it's based on who loves us. It's based on who we are in him. And through that act, Jesus was saying very clearly, it doesn't matter what people think about you. It doesn't matter what title you have. There's a much more important truth for you to grasp hold of. Because you are loved by me. You are accepted by me. You are valued by me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oof. Why don't you spend a moment, just declare out loud, Jesus, I am loved by you. Jesus, I am accepted by you. Jesus, <laughs> my value is in you. And you will always make room for me and my gifting. Amen. Wow. You know, another thing Jesus was modelling in that act is that true greatness, godly leadership, always will lay down their life for others. So we're almost done. <laughs> almost there. Um, at the Last Supper, Jesus said some pretty strange things. He said, take and eat, this is my body. And he said, drink, this is my blood, the blood of the covenant. Now that terminology, it sounds really alien to us, you know, eating someone's body, drinking someone's blood, it sounds a bit macabre. And, but the disciples would have seen it as something else. They would have recognised that kind of language as covenant language. And Jesus was saying, as you eat this bread, as you drink this wine, you are entering into a covenant with me. And not just any covenant, you are entering into a blood covenant with me. And a blood covenant, as the disciples would have known, is the deepest, richest, most binding kind of covenant you can make. So in the hours before he left them, Jesus told his disciples, my bond and my connection with you is as strong as life. My blood flows through your veins. That's what a blood covenant means. And the natural, it sounds a bit crazy, 
But when we've accepted the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and asked him into our lives, we became new creations. It's a supernatural act. We've been born again. We're in Christ Jesus. His bond with us is as strong, in fact, stronger than life. And his blood flows through our veins. Whoa! <laughs> You're allowed to get excited. Ha! <laughs> huh. So why don't we just make another short declaration. Jesus, your bond with me is stronger than life. And your blood flows through my veins. And you know, when Jesus said the words, you shall do even greater works than these, he was able to say that because he has become our Passover lamb. He's dealt with all of our sin, all our mess-ups. He's brought us into a blood covenant with him and his spirit fills us with the same power that Jesus used to do the miracles that he did. And as we walk into our new normal, <laughs> we do so not just as mere mortals, but as supernatural beings. His ambassadors. And we have the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that he used to release the miracles he released flowing through us. Amen. You plus Holy Spirit equals unstoppable. <laughs> so time has now gone. <laughs> so i just quickly round up some of the, the points that I've made. So as you prepare to walk into the new normal that God has for you, know that Jesus is your Passover lamb. And that means that all your sin, all your mess-ups, all your shame has been dealt with once and for all. Know that your identity is not in what you do. It's not in what people think about you. It's not even in what you think about yourself. It's in the fact that he loves you. He accepts you. Don't focus on the things that you think are missing. <laughs> Cultivate a thankful heart and you'll find yourself walking in greater freedom and greater joy. And finally, know that you're in a blood covenant with Jesus. <laughs> his blood, his power flows through you. <laughs> Amen. Thank you for listening and God bless you.